I'm teaching a series entitled, What Gospel Do You Believe? And I'm very emphatic, this is not just a catchy sentence to get people's attention. No, I'm very emphatic. The church really doesn't preach the gospel that Jesus Christ preached. By and large, we preach the gospel that John the Baptist preached. And so I ask with purpose and with great intentionality, what gospel are you believing? Because Jesus came and preached the good news. Gospel means good news. He preached the good news of the kingdom of God. And if it's called good news, there's got to be good news about it. And there is a lot of good news about the kingdom of God and all the ramifications of the kingdom of God that the church has been starved of. Now, I'm not saying that because, oh, uh, he's inferring that he's the only one preaching truth. No, not at all. There are a lot of really good churches that are on fire for God. But what I am saying is that across the board, across the boundaries of everything that calls itself Christian, the gospel of the kingdom is not often taught or preached. And I want you over the next few weeks, and if you're with us for the first time today, uh, please bear with me. I'm not being arrogant. Uh, but I want you to, if you can, rehearse the messages on Facebook from the last couple of weeks. Go to YouTube. We have a YouTube uh, channel. And listen to them over and over again. Listen, do you realize that by the time I preach a message in my head, in my spirit, in my soul, I've probably heard it two or three times. Then I preach it and I hear it, and I go home and I'll listen to it again during the week. Not because I think I'm so fantastic, because I think the things that come out of my mouth that I didn't premeditate are by the Holy Spirit, and they're pretty fantastic. Are you hearing me, church? Look, we get so indoctrinated, we don't even realize we're indoctrinated by the world. We're indoctrinated by our culture. Indoctrination isn't always a bad thing. We are full of the doctrine of, the, the, the philosophies of. And we are so influenced by the philosophy of culture. We are so influenced by the philosophy of uh, this regime in America and this group and this uh, uh, category of flag flyers. Listen to me. We are heading towards the end. And even if we aren't, even if we aren't, the world needs to see a real rendition of the church of Jesus Christ. I'll wait a little bit, gone. And our Father deserves to have a proper, full-blown representation on earth of who He really is and what His church is meant to look like. Can I get an agreement? Thank you, Donna. Amen. By the way, you're allowed to shout. You're allowed to stand up, you're allowed to clap, you're allowed to cheer, you're allowed to let the devil know 
that you're in agreement with the word of God and that the devil's not going to slow you down. Awesome, awesome. And so my message this morning is entitled Living with a Foot in Both Kingdoms. Living with a Foot in Both Kingdoms. We're going to put the first slide up on the screen. And uh, I've told you in the past, I'm, I'm a terrible note taker when I'm listening to somebody preach or when I'm at a conference. I listen best by just listening. I learn best that way. I'm not good at taking notes. So I'll get the CD or when there are slides, I take pictures of the slide. Now I have friends, uh, there are many people, they're the opposite of me. I mean, they can write dictation as fast as the preacher is preaching. And uh, they learn best by taking notes as the preacher preaches. If you see stuff on the screen that touches a chord with you, I have no problem if you get your phone out and take a picture, okay? Uh, we're living in a modern day, whatever works. I don't care as long as we are progressing from one truth of God's word to another truth of God's word. All right, absolutely. So they're going to put the first slide, and over the last couple of weeks, we established from the perfect tense in the original Greek manuscripts that the kingdom of God has come. It's already come. Jesus announced it. That was part of the gospel or the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. The rest of the good news is what that means and how that works itself out. But we learn from the perfect tense in the original Greek manuscripts, the kingdom of God has come, and because it has come, we are still reaping the benefits of the kingdom today. How many of you are living in the kingdom of God right now? How many of you agree that the kingdom of God in you and on earth around you is no different than the kingdom of God that God lives in? Hang on. Do I need to preach that? I got half as many yeses. How many of you are convinced? Or maybe you're not convinced. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? It's the same kingdom. It's the same kingdom. And the realm of God's power as it is in heaven is meant to be the realm of God's power around your life and around my life. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. Next slide. Through the present and in the imperfect tense. We saw these tenses used when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer and he said, Thy kingdom come to our English uh, sounding ears. Grammatically, we see that almost as a future tense, your kingdom come. But this is the present and imperfect tense. And through the present and imperfect tense in the Greek, we see that the kingdom of God has come. What Jesus was saying is, the kingdom of God has come. It is still coming in that day-to-day People are still coming into the kingdom of God, so it's still coming for them. It just came to them in that sense. It is still coming. 
together with all of its ongoing benefits, as well as the kingdom of God is still coming progressively until it is physically established over the whole earth, and it is physical. In the Bible, that's called in the restoration of all things. There is a doctrine that hardly ever gets preached in the church. It's sometimes referred to the renewal of all things or the restoration of all things. In fact, we have so butchered the gospel that we have really grown up on a mishmash of teaching and the word salvation means you repent, you ask Jesus in your heart, and now you're saved, you're going to go to heaven. Not in Jesus' language, not in the Greek language, not in the Hebrew language, not in the prophecies that the prophets spoke concerning the Messiah and the kingdom to come. The concept of salvation originates in God's heart. And from the moment man fell, God before the foundations of the world, the Bible says, before the foundations of the world were laid, Jesus already died for us. You see, God had a plan of salvation before Adam went AWOL, before Adam went wrong. And God's plan was that where Adam fell, he will bring salvation and restore everything back to the point before Adam fell. But instead of the first Adam being the title holder, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, will be the title holder. Hence the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 says, and the kingdom will be on his shoulders. I live in a kingdom today. We have a different president. Every four years we vote for a president. Sometimes they last eight years, sometimes they don't. Nobody will vote Jesus in and nobody will vote Jesus out. In fact, nobody will take him out. And so I live under a perpetual kingdom where there's perpetually divine order. The government is on his shoulders. While I live in the world and the world wants to spit at me, not literally, but the things of the world want to come crashing into my space, it doesn't change the fact I live in the kingdom of God under the rulership of Jesus Christ. And when crazy tries to invade divine order, that's not the will of God. If everything that happens to you in your life is the will of God, then you have a doctrine that is in line with the Muslim religion. Everything is Allah's will, except for when they suffer terrible defeat. When crazy invades your space, that's not the will of God. If everything that happens is the will of God for your life, then Jesus would not have taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because there's a difference between the will that's happening on earth and the will of God in heaven. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> so we live in the kingdom of God now. And as a kingdom man, look, as Americans, you all know your rights. I've lived outside of this country and lived in another country, Australia, for many, many years, 29 years in total, came back to America, and I, I had to reacquaint with this culture. And it's amazing how Americans are so firm and 
so gung-ho on their rights and they know their rights. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I am saying is, I wish we understood our rights as citizens of heaven as much as we understood our rights as citizens of the USA. I wish we had as much vibrato on our rights. In fact, I wish we had more, but if we at least matched it, the church would be in a very different place. You see, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God is a very real thing. And you have to understand it to be able to see it. And when you see it, then you can claim it for you. I am not subject to the dictates of the kingdom of darkness. I am not and I will not be. I have convinced myself that there is no truth other than the truth of God's word. And anything else is a deviation from truth. The word of God is truth. And so I am first and foremost a son of God and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and the power of heaven backs me. I'm not just a preacher. I am a representation of the authority and the power that comes from heaven through Jesus Christ. But so are you. So are you. And as citizens of heaven, we have to know who we are and what we're called to be. We need to know our rights. We need to understand the culture of the kingdom of God. We understand the culture of America, baseball, football, hot dogs, sauerkraut. And, uh, you know, we have a culture that is unique from any other nation. Every nation has a unique culture. Ours is unique also. It's unique to us. And then in different parts of America, there are subcultures. We are very conscious of our Americana, everything that is American. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there is as much definition to the kingdom of God. There is as much culture to the kingdom of God. There is as much to understand and flow with in the gospel of the kingdom of God. And too often we live as Americans ignorant of how the kingdom of God really functions and operates. So I want to take you down that road today. Are you willing to come with me? Amen. Praise God. All right. Today I want to teach you what I consider a major kingdom principle. And I mean major. Both Matthew and Luke point out something extremely important when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. Now this is a major principle. So if you're a note taker, get a big fat pen out. Make sure it's got plenty of ink. This is a biggie. This is important. When Matthew records the Lord's Prayer and when Luke records the, both prayer, the Lord's Prayer, both of them mention one aspect of this prayer, and it is a very important aspect because when Jesus taught on prayer in another portion of Scripture, it wasn't the Lord's Prayer. He mentioned this point as well. Here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Now we've lost this concept. We've lost the concept of when you do wrong by a person, you have a debt. It's a legal concept, but it's also a moral concept. 
And if I offend you and do the wrong thing by you, morally, I have an obligation before God to make that right. To approach you, to apologize, to eat a little bit of humble pie, and where I can, to rectify the situation. You see, the Bible talks about a lot of things that don't always get talked about from the pulpit. The Bible talks about the principle of restitution. We like the principle of forgiveness. Everybody wants to get showered. We want to take a shower and get lathered up in the forgiveness of God and everybody else's forgiveness. But you know, the Bible also teaches restitution. We want forgiveness, but we don't necessarily want to make restitution to the debt that we owe. And restitution is an honorable thing. You see, only God can forgive me of my sins, and I cannot make restitution there. I fall on the mercy of heaven's court, and I say, Dad, I'm wrong. Forgive me. I'm sorry. But where I hurt fellow human beings, it is to my honor and to my calling, to the best of my ability to make restitution. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be known as sons of God. Why? You see, the devil's forever trying to embroil us in fractured relationships and reasons why we should take offense and stay offended. But a peacemaker doesn't just ask for forgiveness from the Father. A peacemaker goes to the person who was offended and says, I'm sorry, I did the wrong thing. My Father has forgiven me. I'm apologizing to you as well. I want to get it right. If I've hurt you, I'm sorry. How can I do the right thing? And so in Matthew, when he records the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our debts. When we sin, when we commit an error, we actually owe a debt. We all owed a debt to God, and God canceled our debt. But we forget the fact that we also owe a debt to the people we've injured. I'm waiting for it. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. In our legal system though it seems to be changing of late. Uh, in our legal system, when someone is guilty of a crime and they are judged and sentenced, the concept and the idea is they owe a debt to society. And many people, when a prisoner has come out of jail and he's still being prejudiced against People will take up the argument in their favor and say he's paid his debt to society and they should have a free chance now. Come on, give them a chance. You all understand what I'm saying? So Matthew says, forgive us our debts because sin is the breaching of a common sacred law, whether it's earthly or spiritual, and therefore we have a debt because any law of God that's broken is a law that now has caused someone to hurt. Amen. God doesn't make rules because he's a killjoy. 
God doesn't make rules because he's really just stiff and cranky and he can't tolerate anyone unless they're exactly like him. No, if you look at the things that the Bible says, don't do this or do this, it's always based on this behavior will hurt you, it will hurt others, and it will offend God. You see, the whole law of God, what did Jesus say? It hangs on this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that's wrong, everything that's a sin is a sin because it'll hurt you. It'll hurt the person around you. It'll hurt the heart of God. And so when we sin, we owe a debt. And the debt is to make restoration or restitution wherever we can. That's why a smart husband will go to his wife and say, I'm sorry, I was talking like a bonehead. And a wise wife will say, hey, babe, I'm sorry. I need to not be so narky sometimes. It's why we do these things. So the concept of sin leaves us indebted is a concept not often talked about or understood. Now, I'm going to develop this a little bit further. I'm going to show you some, draw it together to a conclusion that is really relevant to your everyday life. Some of us, we live in the kingdom of God, and maybe we've gotten this concept in the past, but we don't understand. If I'm living in the kingdom of God and I have the authority and the power, why aren't I seeing that quality of results? And what I'm preaching today will take you to that answer and show you how to unlock things in your life. Have I got anybody's interest? Or am I putting you to sleep? All right. Here we go. So Jesus, his disciples teach us how to pray, say teach us how to pray. And in his teaching them how to pray, he says, Father, forgive us for our sins. Luke chapter uh, 10, 11, he says, forgive us for our sins, for we forgive everyone who sins against us. Matthew says, forgive us for our debts, as we have forgiven those who have debts against us. Now we have another scenario, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 actually is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. He just came down from the Mount of Olives, riding on a donkey. Everyone was calling him, Hosanna, the king, the king. He rides into Jerusalem, and uh, he cleanses the temple. He throws the merchants who are shortchanging people, literally shortchanging people. They weren't using just or accurate weights, okay? And so they're shortchanging people. They were thieves. They were making... Uh, unjust gain from the house of God and the people of God, and God doesn't like that. God's not into that. If you're wealthy because you have been deceitful and you have been a liar and a cheat, that's not a good thing. And we need to get our hearts right and live according to the word of God or we will live according to the ways of the world. I expect it to get quiet now. All right. In Mark chapter 11, they sort of kicked Jesus out of the temple. They, they, the priests don't accept him. They said, by what authority are you doing this? 
And as he's leaving, he sees a fig tree and it doesn't have fruit on it and he curses it and says, you'll dry up from the roots. Now the Bible says it wasn't season for the fig to have fig trees. Why would Jesus curse a fig tree if it's really not in season just because it doesn't have fruit? Was he kicking the cat? Someone kicked him and now he's kicking the cat? No. This was a very definite and a very symbolic thing. Israel is, uh, the fig tree is symbolic of Israel. And when the priest rejected Jesus in the temple, this is two weeks before his crucifixion, it was the final straw and God was saying, Israel, you have rejected your Messiah. You have rejected your opportunity. And you will see that over a space of about 40 years after that, Israel ceased to exist as a nation. Historically, go check it out. It, the Roman Empire just crushed Israel. It ceased to exist as the nation of Hebrew people. And so Jesus curses this fig tree. It was out of season. It wasn't bearing fruit. He says, you're going to dry up from the roots. Symbolically, this is what's going to happen to Israel. A week later, he's talking to his disciples, and they said, when are you coming back? And he said, when the fig tree starts to blossom. When the fig tree starts to blossom, Israel's become a nation again. Okay? But follow me. Stay with me. The disciples come back the next day with Jesus, and here's this fig tree. It's dead. I mean, it is dry wood. You could use it for kindling. That's how dead it is. And the day before, it was alive, but it didn't have fruit. And they said, wow, check it out, Jesus. And in Mark 11, Jesus starts to teach them how to pray. He says, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and doesn't doubt it in their heart. You want to have powerful prayer, you got to learn to pray and call things that are not as though they already are. You got to learn how to look at the present scenario and say, that's not my destiny, that's not my life, that's not the will of God, this is the will of God. Amen. Absolutely. Uh, he says, I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, be removed and thrown into the sea and doesn't doubt it in their heart, your mind and your emotions, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he asks. Now, when you're going to believe for something, you have to believe to the end. No, it's mine. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. Okay. And I am healed, praise God. Let's go to the next verse. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you have received them and you will have them. You remember the last series I did? I had the big cross up here and I, it, it said, it is finished. Believe you have received them and you will have them. Okay, that's the key to powerful praying, being absolutely convinced you already have it. Isn't it interesting when you understand that's the principle of faith? Isn't it interesting? Last week I talked about a religious principle of demons. They take every present reality and revelation and throw it off into the future. 
And Jesus says, no, believe it's already done. What a contrast. Oh, by the way, everything about the kingdom of darkness is an absolute contrast to the kingdom of God. Okay, so no surprise, but it is a contrast. So the kingdom of God actually says, believe you have received it. I am healed. When are you going to get healed? No, I am. Uh, but you still have manifestations. I am healed. On the cross, my healing became legal. It is mine. Say what you want. I'm going to say what I want. I'm going to be in agreement with the promises of God. Even though there are many promises, they always get a yes from Jesus. And from me, they're going to get, that's how it is, folks. That's how it is. He's teaching them how to pray. He's teaching them how to move mountains. He's teaching them how to step into the miraculous. And then he starts talking about forgiving. Look, therefore I say to you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you of your trespasses. So here's a third time the subject of prayer comes up twice in the Lord's Prayer recorded by Matthew and again recorded by Luke. Both of them make sure they make the point, forgive us of our sins the way we forgive others. Now Mark is giving us a sermon that Jesus shared with his disciples another time. He's talking about how to have power in prayer and he has the audacity to say, we got to forgive people. How many of you think, this might be an important connection to successful praying if Jesus keeps bringing it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I, I wrote a couple of things down here. Um, when we pray, we're going to put this up on the screen. When we pray, when we pray, we have power with God and through God. But when we refuse to forgive, we hinder and limit the flow of God's power for our life and through our life. Are you hearing me? Guys, I missed a slide, and I really would like to go back to that slide. My fault. Uh, when we pray, we're not begging God. When we pray, we have power with God and through God. Can we put that up? Yep. When we pray, we're not begging God. If you understand the Lord's Prayer and you go back into the Greek tenses the way I taught it last week, when we pray, we're making declaration. We're not begging God for bread and water. Give us this day our daily bread, please. God's not a miser. It's a declaration. Your kingdom has come. Your kingdom is here. Your kingdom is expanding. And your kingdom will come in a physical sense, but it's here right now. We start with that declaration. And then we go on and we say, Father, give us our daily bread. Why? Because your kingdom is here. And daily bread is everything I need. When we pray, we're not begging God. When we pray, we have power with God and through God. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. So now I'm saying when we pray, we have power with God and through God. But when we refuse to forgive, 
we hinder and limit the flow of God's power for our life, and we limit and hinder the flow of God's power through our life. Here's the next slide. You can't stand with God in power and stand contrary to God in principle. Some people, some churches, you know, they got a picture of an angry God who just wants to beat everything out of us. <laughs> wants to beat the snot out of us. And so repentance is tied to an angry God who just has fun when he's constantly beating us down. That is not who God is. That's a religious God. That is not Jehovah. That is not Yahweh. That is not who our Father is. But when God puts it on the heart of a preacher to preach repentance, what he's trying to do is lovingly get his kids to line up. We inadvertently take on attitudes from our family. We inadvertently replicate attitudes we see in the world. Little kids watch athletes, sports, professional athletes, and they watch them throw a temper tantrum, and then in the mini league, we see the kid doing exactly the same thing. We do it. We, we watch reactions, and then we think it's justified or cool to react the same way. And repentance is God speaking a word lovingly and yet convictingly to line us up so that we understand, wait a minute, I'm more in harmony with the spirit of the world than I am with the word of God. And how can I stand with God in power and then stand contrary to God in principle? So Jesus is teaching them how to pray and how to have power. And he's saying, look, you could, you could throw a mountain into the ocean. And I could right now start and preach all the principles of faith, which I quickly outlined, but that's not the, the point here. The point is, he then says, when you stand and pray, if you're going to have power with God, if you're going to represent God on his behalf, we're going to call things that are not as though they already are. We're going to right wrongs. We're going to release people from hurts. We're going to bring healing to their lives. You can't stand with God in power and stand contrary to God in principle. Come on, I want a better amen. Give me something to go on. Absolutely. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 to 38. And I want you to understand something that this concept of forgiveness goes hand in hand with making judgments about people. In Luke chapter 6, verse 37 to 38, Jesus says, Do not judge, and you won't be judged. Do not condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, he creates a triune progression here. He takes three elements. He talks about judging. Don't judge, and you won't be judged. Don't uh, condemn, and you won't be condemned. And don't refuse to forgive, or you won't be forgiven. 
and he speaks these things. He says, give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running out all over. It will be poured into your lap. In other words, when you're not judgmental of other people, that grace that you're showing will be pressed down, poured out all over, and be running all over you. How many of you want to live in a bubble of grace? Absolutely. He, he says, when you don't condemn someone, you won't get condemned either. When you don't condemn others, an atmosphere of non-condemnation will be poured out on you, pressed down, shaken together, until it's just drowning you. How many of you want to live life drowning in an attitude of, I'm not condemned? Absolutely, absolutely. He says, and when you forgive someone, you're going to get baptized in forgiveness yourself. Because every time you mess up and you don't even realize you messed up, instead of being judged, instead of being condemned, my grace will cover you and forgiveness will just surround your life and people will respond to you with the same kind of grace and forgiveness and mercy you showed everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, he goes on. And he says, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is a common thread and a common principle in the kingdom of God. What you sow, you will reap, right? What you give, you'll get back, pressed down, shaken together, running out all over. If you're merciful, you'll get mercy. Isn't that a great incentive to be really nice to everyone? Turn around, look around the auditorium. I bet you can find at least three people that right now it looks really good to forgive them. One of them's probably sitting next to you, and the other one's probably sitting in your seat. What is Jesus actually saying here? So here we go with the slides again. You can't withhold forgiveness from someone without condemning them. Did you hear that? You cannot withhold forgiveness from someone without condemning them. When you choose not to forgive someone, you have condemned them to a state of not being forgiven by you. You're holding it over their head. You have condemned them to a sentence. And you can't condemn a person unless you first judge them. And when we judge someone, we are pushing God off the throne in our lives and we're taking his place. Donnie, I just recognized you. How are you guys? You got a lot more hair on your face. No. It just dawned on me who you guys are. So good to see you. God bless you. Everybody give them a big hand. 
You can't condemn a person unless you first judge them. And when we judge someone, we're pushing God off his throne in our life, and we're taking his place. Guys, I'm sharing this because Jesus kept sharing this whenever he talked about praying. To pray is to have power with God and to have power through God. But we compromise that position and we compromise that power when we stand with God in power, but we stand contrary to God in principle. How many of you agree this is good teaching today? Is this good teaching? Absolutely. And I'm not teaching this stuff to put a weight on you. I'm teaching you to understand We do live in the kingdom of God, and maybe things aren't happening in my life the way they should, and maybe, maybe some of it comes back to things that I did or didn't do in terms of other people. Everybody's seeing this. All right. And the rest of you are taking the fifth. You're not going to say anything unless it condemns you, right? Okay. I want you to see there's a demonic progression. There are divine progressions hidden in the word of God. There are also demonic progressions. And this is a very important demonic impression to the kingdom of darkness. This is how he traps most of us up. In fact, he traps all of us up in one way or another using this progression. We judge, we condemn, and we refuse to forgive. And when you study everything that Jesus said... When we judge and we condemn and we refuse to forgive, we just cursed ourselves. Don't you think devils are smart and they want you to fall into the trap of this unholy trinity? We judge. I look at you and I make a judgment in my mind. (laughs) And that judgment might never go any further than that. But what I've just done is I've released judgment against myself. And we make judgments about people all the time. We make judgments about race. We make judgments about color. We make judgments about people's financial status. And it is wrong, wrong, wrong. Not because God has a list of do's and don'ts, but because God has a roadmap to what's going to hurt us and what won't hurt us. Hello? Can we understand this? Amen. It's very important. You see, we are living in the kingdom of God. Why don't we see power as much as we should in the church? Now, I thank God we see a lot of miracles in this church, a lot of healings, and a lot of supernatural stuff happens, and I thank God for that. But I'm going to be quite honest with you. I'm not satisfied. I want to see a lot more, and I want to see a lot more happening in your personal life. So if we're living in America, you got to know the laws of America. you got to know how this place works, right? you got to know your rights, but you also have to know what's expected of you. Or you will run afoul with the law. And, you know, you can stand with America in the Pledge of Allegiance, but you might be doing that inside of a prison cell. (laughs) We could be living inside the kingdom and harassed by the kingdom of darkness. And that's not what God designed. That's not how God wants it to be. There is a code to living in the kingdom of God. It's really quiet. That's because you're taking a lot of notes, right? You're thinking about it. Okay. No one's judging me. No one's condemning me. 
and no one's going to hold unforgiveness towards me. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Absolutely. I'm called to speak truth because truth will open our eyes and it sets us free. The truth will set you free. Principles of God are true. They are universally true. And so, look, every one of us in this room, starting with me, we make judgments about people. It's wrong. We make judgments. We make prejudicial judgments. Oh, they're stupid. That's a, what an idiot. That person's an idiot. Oh, that person's of this color or that. Uh, they come from this financial bracket. And good or bad, we make judgments about people. And here's the problem. Judgments can lead to condemnation. When we make a judgment, I've opened myself up to have the same kind of judgment come towards me. And when I look at someone and say, they're stupid, I have just condemned them to the judgment in my mind. And in my mind, I hold them a prisoner. In my mind, my interactions with them will always come out of my judgment of them. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not how we live. You, you can't have a, a foot in the kingdom of God and a foot in the kingdom of darkness without consequences. Hello? Hey, this is good stuff. I know it might be speaking to you and you might be getting convicted and so am I. You got to see how many, uh, how much I had to get things right with God before I got this message out. It, God preaches it to me first. Believe me, I tell you honestly before the Lord, there are things I had to get right in my heart before I could finish this message. See, I believe we live in the kingdom of God. I believe the power to heal, to deliver, the power to prosper, it's ours. It is our legal right. It is finished. It is more real than the Constitution of the United States of America. Men will bleed and die to protect that Constitution, and women will. And thank God that they try to protect our freedoms. But there is no greater freedom than living in harmony with the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. When our life lines up with his life, hell has to go to hell because it cannot touch us. Amen. Absolutely. I love taking the word of God and breaking it down into practical application. Demonic progression. We judge, we condemn, we refuse to forgive. We judge people and in judging them, we condemn them in our minds to the verdict of our judgment. And if they happen to actually have done something against us, we refuse them the grace to ever come out from under that sentence that we've opposed on them in our heart. Next slide. You can't live in the kingdom of God and operate out of the principles of the kingdom of darkness without there being a compromise. Should I say it again? You can't live in the kingdom of God and operate out of the principles of the kingdom of darkness without there being a compromise. And the compromise is that you are living with a foot in both kingdoms. 
A house divided cannot stand. There's a strategy in war, divide and conquer. And so the enemy will affect your emotions. He will target your judgments, your attitudes about people. Everything comes back to relationship. He'll get you making judgments whether a person is just breathing air or they're saying things you don't like. And we make judgments. And then we condemn them to the judgment in our mind. And if someone actually offended us, then we refuse to forgive them. And we've made them a prisoner in our mind. But what we don't understand is that it is a slippery, slimy slimy trick from the kingdom of darkness. It is a progression, a demonic pressure that brings us back into bondage when we're not meant to be in bondage at all. The compromise is that we're living with a foot in both kingdoms, so we become divided. We're trying to stand with God, yet we're living according to the principles of darkness. And the devil knows a house divided against itself cannot stand. He will tear down your marriage. He will tear down your son and daughter and break relationship in your home. He will tear down your mind. He will tear down your emotions. He will tear down your physical health. You see, the kingdom of God is now, and it is here. And there are rights that are afforded us, and we do have authority, and we do have power. But every time Jesus talked about prayer, he also talked about don't forgive. Uh, Don't hold unforgiveness in your heart. Forgive, don't judge, don't condemn. The way you forgive others, you will be forgiven. Why? They go hand in hand. You can't stand with God in power and stand contrary to God in principle. This is good preaching. I know it's good preaching. Now listen, the next slide. Get your phone ready. The consequence of the compromise is this. That when you live according to the principles of darkness, you have given the agents of that kingdom access to that compromised area in your life. You have. And I can prove it from scripture. But I'm going to tell you a story first. I got healed two years ago of something that was pretty major in my life. It wasn't an incurable thing, but it was a major issue in my life. I had severe allergies. Severe. Eight months of the year here in Florida, I would... I'd wake up, my pillow is soaked from what would come out of my nose. My, I was constantly spraying stuff up my nose. My doctor would tell me these sprays will cause the very symptoms you're trying to get rid of. They're addictive. And I would fight it all the time and say, no, it's not going to happen to me. And he'd be amazed that I'd always beat the addiction to the sinuses. I, I believed I had authority and I would break it. But I still had horrendous allergies to the point, and I've had them now for the last 18 years. And I'd pray for healing, and I never got healed. So this is a confessional, okay? I don't mind putting my life on display so that others can avoid mistakes I've made. That's okay. My whole life is a sermon. My failures as well as my successes. And so I'm a library, and I'm pulling out some of the books that are on the shelf. 
I prayed for healing for years and never got healed. And, and finally, I, I started to pray two years ago, God, why am I not getting healed? I've been healed of incurable diseases. I had Crohn's disease. They told me I'd die. I am perfectly healthy. Uh, in fact, my doctor yesterday, Dr. Tom Renfro, went through my medical portal with my permission. I just had a stress test done and cardioangiogram and what, all that stuff. They pumped me with dyes and they pumped me with drugs. And he said, Rob, for the shape you're in, you're in good shape. I said, Doc, that sounds like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> he said, you're actually quite healthy. But two years ago, I said, God, why haven't I gotten healed? I get healed of everything else. Why haven't I been healed? I mean, it would be so bad. I'm literally eight months of the year. I have a hernia in my belly button. I, I would cough so hard, I literally tore the tissue around my belly button, and I have a little bulge. Isn't that a cute thing? I'm growing a belly on my belly. I would cough so hard, and Pastor Carlos and anyone in my family will testify to this, and they'll tell you. I would cough so hard, Pastor Carlos would say, you get into such a spasm of coughing that I start struggling, he starts struggling to breathe for me. But I would cough so hard that if I'm talking to people and people are talking to me, all, all of a sudden, their voices are getting distant and faint, and my vision starts to go cloudy, and I'd have to grab a table. That's how severe the allergies would affect me, and I would cough. And so finally, I found a clinic. They would give me a cortisone injection, and that would help me for the rest of the year. One year, I went to go get it, and the attendant said, we can't give it to you. That's only for knee injuries. This is super strong. I said, no, they always give it to me. She went and saw the other attendants who usually man the clinic, and they were having an argument because supposedly not supposed to be used for allergies. But money won out in the end. Either I left without getting the injection or they'd make another dime. And so the overall decision was overturned and I got my injection. I really struggled with this. It was severe. Bill, did I say it was severe? I'm telling you, I am not exaggerating. Pastor Stevens nodding his head. Uh, Pastor Carlos, am I exaggerating? Super severe. Never got healed. And two years ago, I started praying. I said, God, why is this? And he suddenly brought to my memory. My mother had allergies like this when we moved to Australia as missionaries. And she had these thin little white hankies, and she was, they were constantly soaking wet. And she was constantly blowing her nose and constantly miserable and constantly talking about it. And as a silly little kid who's not very mature, I made a judgment. And I thought, how pathetic. You're always whining. You're always complaining. Uh, I wasn't experiencing it. I was only watching it. And here I am praying, and suddenly it comes back to me, and God shows me. An unwise kid, immature, looking at his mother, tired of hearing her talk about it, you know, skeeved out by these googie, wet, thin nap, uh, handkerchiefs, Right? You're all going to forgive me for being an immature young man, right? 
okay? But I'm being honest with you because I want to help you see things that maybe you never saw. And so I'm praying, God, why have I never gotten healed? And he brings me to this picture and he reminds me of the feelings, the emotions, the thoughts in my head, the judgments, the attitude. And I can tell you honestly before God, I got down and seriously repented and said, Dad, I would do anything to bring my mom back and have another day with her. Why, why did I think like that? I was foolish, a silly kid, intolerant, not merciful, not gracious. Dad, forgive me. I miss my mom. I wish you were here. And I, I wept before the Lord because I saw my sin. I saw it. I didn't see it for years. Do you know from that day, I have never had allergies anymore. <laughs> Honest truth. Honest truth. A week ago, I, I, mowed, I, I mowed two and a half acres of grass this tall. Without a mask. I didn't even think about it. Before, I would wear heavy-duty masks. And my eyes would get all teary and they'd be swollen. And I'd be taking Sinex, uh, the, the tablets, and I'd be pumping my nose. And I'd be miserable. I mowed two and a half acres the other day. Didn't even think about a mask because I haven't had allergies for two years. And no effects whatsoever. What am I saying? Yes, I'm sharing a great testimony. God is powerful. What am I saying? What I'm saying is the reality of the kingdom is here. It is now. But we've got to line up with the harmony of the principles of God's kingdom. And when we live contrary to God's word, we are literally opening the doors to the enemy to come into the kingdom of God and have access to that area of our life. You see, in the area that I judged my mom, that's the area he ended up having control. It didn't happen for 10 years, maybe 18 years, but it happened. It happened. Judge not lest you be judged. It's not that God's going to go around judging us. Demons will take every opportunity they can. So we do live in the kingdom of God. And what you're experiencing doesn't deny the reality of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is here. And just like your pastor had to get honest and get before God and say, God, is there something in me? Why am I not being healed? And then when he showed me, I dealt with it. And I dealt with it from the bottom of my heart. I saw how ugly that looked. I, was, I, I really debated whether or not I should share this testimony because you'll all think I'm a creep. But that's why I taught you you got to forgive first before I shared my testimony. As kids, we're immature. We, we, and as people, we get judgmental. And the enemy is clever. The slippery slide, the progression is judge, condemn, and don't forgive. And if you only stop at judging, that's all right. That's enough of an open door. But if you judge, you've already condemned someone, at least in your mind, to the judgment you've made.
And we often give the enemy access where Jesus came to deny him access. Jesus made a statement towards the end of his ministry. He said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. You know, when the devil has nothing in you, he has nothing on you. Amen. Come on, let's stand. Now, I don't have time uh, to show you, but I'm going to just put it out there. I encourage you to read it. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1 to about verse 11. Uh, what is it in my notes? One through six. Here's the prophet Jeremiah. Jerusalem, Jeremiah keeps prophesying, Jerusalem's going to come under the judgment of God. And he keeps telling everyone to repent. And in Jeremiah chapter 5, again, I've never read this in a book. I've never read the, heard this preached as a sermon, but I'm going to tell you. In Jeremiah chapter 5, the prophet's having a conversation with God. And God says, go up the city and see if the people understand my ways and they practice my ways. And Jeremiah said, okay. And he goes up and he's up and down the streets and people aren't living according to the word of God. This is the nation of Israel. They're called to be his people. Like the church is called to be his people. We can judge Israel, but we often do the same things as Israel does. It's very quiet. You could hear the pin drop on the carpet. That's how quiet it is. So then Jeremiah says, and you read it, he says, well, I thought to myself, these are just the common folk and they don't have access to the word of God. Let me go to the nobles. Let me go to the leaders. Let me go to the chiefs. Surely they understand the ways of God. And so he went into the city and he went to examine and he saw that the leaders, the governors, the priests were not living according to the ways of God. Can you throw that scripture up? Look at this. It's going to blow your mind. Go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around. Consider, search through the squares. No, I didn't mean literally look around. Sorry. It says, look around. Search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I'll forgive the city. Although they say, as surely as the Lord lives... In other words, they're talking all the Christian language. Still, they swear force, falsely. Next verse. Lord, do not your eyes look for truth. You struck them, but they felt no pain. You crushed them. They refused correction. They made their faces harder than stone. They refused to repent. I thought to myself, these are only the poor. They're foolish. They don't know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. Next verse. So I will go to the leaders and speak to them. They know the way of the Lord. They know the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and torn off the bonds. In other words, they stopped being accountable to the word of God. Okay? Next verse. Therefore, a lion from the forest will attack them. A wolf from the desert will ravage them. A leopard will lie in wait near the towns to tear to pieces any who venture out, for their rebellion is great and their backsliding are many. 
In the book of Revelations, chapter 21, Babylon falls. And Babylon is called the haunt of every kind of wild animal that is a predator. These are some symbolic words or images used for demons. Church, I love you. And we are sons of God. But we don't realize we open the back door, we open the side door, we leave the garage door open, and we allow agents of hell to come in and trip us up because we don't hold ourselves accountable to the Word of God. Everybody see that? Repentance is a beautiful thing. It's not a club to beat us up and remind us that we're useless. No. No, God loves me even when I sin. Even when I make a mistake, I'm his son. And he picks me up and he's patient with me and he loves me. And I want this sermon to have that effect on you. But I also don't want you just to be forgiven. I want you to be informed. We are in the kingdom of God. But sometimes when we live like the kingdom of hell, when we judge, when we condemn, when we hold unforgiveness, we are in agreement with the principles of darkness. And when we're in agreement with the principles of darkness, we allow the agents of darkness to have access to our life in the very area where we made a judgment and where we condemn someone, and where we can't forgive. Years ago, God showed me, and I've used this in counseling so often, what you can't forgive in your mother, what you can't forgive in your father, guess who you end up looking like 10 years later? And I don't mean physically either. What we can't forgive in someone else, what we hate about another person, we actually start to mirror. And we don't realize these are principles. No one ever stops, especially from the pulpit. I mean, to preach something like this, you've got to lay a foundation. And that takes too much time. People will be upset. They want to leave. I want some pasta. And so we have a church that is this deep. And we wonder why we're hoping that the White House is going to fix America. The White House will never fix America. Because the America that is broken is the America in the heart of every individual. And only Jesus Christ can fix that. Only Jesus Christ. We have to understand if we want to live in the benefits of the kingdom of heaven, we have to live according to the principles of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And so I'm going to leave this word with you. Next week, I'm going to preach on the power of the kingdom. And we're going to have an altar call. And we're going to pray with people so that if you suffer with depression, that the spirit of it will leave you and that you won't struggle with depression anymore. If you battle with uh, mental weakness, that you will be set free in your mind. That if you have emotional scars and wounds, trauma, 
that you'll get set free from that strong man, we'll break them off your life. And in Jesus' name, we'll bring deliverance to you. If there's a healing that you haven't received yet and your sickness persists, I want you to take this word and, and go home and pray and say, God, why do I always face this issue? Show me. Do to me what you did to Pastor Rob. Open the window in my mind. Let me see connections. And if God shows you something, it doesn't mean there'll always be something, but if God shows you something, take accountability and repent. And you might have to forgive your mother. You might have to forgive your dad. You might have to forgive yourself. Sometimes we're better at forgiving others than forgiving ourselves. You might have to make something right. You see, in the gospel that gets preached in America, it's a gospel, repent, you're saved, you're going to heaven, yay! And there are no trailblazers. Why? Because everybody's house is just about underwater. The good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God is that we're meant to be in charge. We're meant to have authority. We're meant to live in victory. But we like hearing the rah-rah. But oftentimes we don't get pastors who are willing to risk their reputation and say, okay, here's the rah-rah, but here's also how we have to live. And so I'm calling everyone, including myself, I repented about a very serious issue before church. Something I've struggled with in my heart to someone that I had to forgive. I couldn't preach this message unless I got past that point. And I made a decision this morning. Okay, Dad, I'm letting it go. I'm not preaching at you. I'm exposing me. So we could all go to the good place together. And, and, and I don't mean get to heaven. We're going there. We could get to a better place in life together. Amen. And so, Father, I thank you for your word today. And I thank you that you're speaking into people's hearts and lives. And I, I, I know, I believe, repentance is the prerequisite to revival. And, Father, we don't receive condemnation from the devil and nor will we see condemnation in other people. We will not feel judged by the enemy. No, 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 no. We are washed under the blood. But Father, we ask you, church, are you in agreement? We ask you to open our eyes so that we will see things that offended you and have ensnared us. Holy Spirit, work with us all week as we come back next Sunday, we come back with excitement for miracles and breakthroughs and releases in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.